Uh-huh. I just feel like I've been around the block, ripping up fantasy stock, working around the clock. Look at the view from the top. Researching rookies a lot? No, I just be listening to pods. Yeah, one in particular. I'm just a messenger. Let me just pass on the rock. Browning, brunning, bruning, pronouncing ain't what he's doing. What he's doing is not losing, but infusing you with new things. And there's Dennis the Bennett. Yeah, the man is a menace. Yeah, building a dynasty. Some of the finest things. Promise you, you won't regret it. Sly as a fox, cultured in pop, give him his props. Here is a thought, here is a box, and you cannot compare them at all, so don't even try. Careful with the news, but when you use a take, I take up Tony Fire, I mean dire, because anyone else is a huge mistake. Whoa, fantasy round table, fantasy, fantasy round table, fantasy round table, come take a look at the crown, baby. Hey, fantasy round table, fantasy, fantasy round table, fantasy round table, come take a look at the crown, baby. Go. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Football Roundtable Podcast. Proud partners of the Pigskin Podcast Network. You can be, I'm sorry, I don't know why I said you can be, but you can find us on there at, this is horrible, first day back and we're messing this up not even two minutes into the show. Who's this we you're talking about? You're the only one talking. Hey, come on now, Kimusavi. This is a royal we. We are in this together. Uh, you can find us at hashtag TPPN on Twitter. Uh, when we hashtag this show, you can also find them at PigskinPodNet on Twitter. We're back. It is Friday. We've got uh, some interesting OTA stuff going on. Kaepernick is back in the news, and we are going to be talking about positional depth charts in the NFC, the running back position. Matt, Dennis, how you guys doing on this uh, wonderful Memorial Day weekend? I'm assuming both of you have a three-day weekend ahead of you as well, something I'm greatly looking forward to. You know, it's going to rain here most of the weekend, I think, which means I'm not going to be able to do any uh, any any large amount of yard maintenance. And then when I have to go back to work next week and get my ass kicked because it's the week of the Memorial Tournament, and I think we're moving every person in the uh, center of the world uh, around Columbus at some point or another, um, my yard won't be able to get mowed. Maybe my kid will do it. I don't know. We'll have to see. But the grass will be, you know, as high as my forearm. And then he'll screw something up. And the mower deck will be sideways. And so it'll be mowing like a, you know, a high top fade from the old days or something. But on the plus side, on Tuesday night, I'm scheduled to pick up Jerry Rice and Jerome Bettis. So that's cool. <laughs> Very nice. That's a great way to end that story right there with those two names. Um, have I ever told you guys about the time I got a, a, a ticket and almost sent to um, jail because of my yard not being mowed? You did. I remember that. Okay, I couldn't remember. It's because you have like a story. homeowners association, right? It's the city thing. It's not even an HOA, which is just ridiculous. It's just a citywide ordinance thing. But yeah. They were out, they were out there with rulers measuring. Yeah, she really did. And she did it again by, too. We stopped by like, every three days. Our mower to see broke, how and I was just like, "Come on, lady, like cut me some slack." It's been like two years. She's like, "I'll cut you slack and you cut your yard." That's practically what she said back to me in the message. No joke. Well, let me tell you, Monday holidays hit differently uh, when you were a Sunday through Thursday employee. I do have a three day weekend, but it's a non consecutive three day weekend. 
I mean, it's just three days off, right? Like that's the best way to look at it at this point. It's it's been it's been a struggle for if if only you guys could see the behind the scenes stuff, these stories we were just telling before this show started. <laughs> the ones that we should have recorded. We need we all three of us need three days off badly well, right now. I'm gonna disagree with Fox here and say no, we shouldn't have recorded it because I have plausible <laughs> deniability without the recording. That's very true. That's very true. As, as both of us can also say, there's some things you just you don't want out there at this point. There's you know we're we're all very happy. You want to stay that way. So yeah, I mean that's why I spent the afternoon taking my wife to a dance lesson, planning our anniversary party. Oh, there you go. There you go. Well, you, you mentioned it a little bit. We have a, a few pieces of uh, news going on. The first of those is Colin Kaepernick, who uh, is uh, trying out for the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, they let their backup quarterback, Marcus Mariota, go to the Atlanta Falcons, so they have a little bit of an opening there. Um, it says no contract is imminent, but what, how do you guys feel uh, about Kaepernick if he lands there uh, and the opportunity? I don't think there's much of an opportunity there. I think Derek Carr is entrenched pretty well. Um, I feel like Josh McDaniels probably likes Derek Carr plenty. And uh, when you've got Derek Carr and Devontae Adams. So is there a spot on the bench behind him? Yeah. And I, I feel like Kaepernick, even though he's been out of the league for six years, is probably better than Nick Mullins. Um I think Kaepernick should have gotten a shot long before this. Uh, I think the if if you want to say somebody isn't good enough when they've shown that they they were, the best way to do that is to let them play and show they're not good enough, and then the NFL doesn't get smeared. I don't know, smeared's not even the right right word. Maybe painted with the broad brush that they're blackballing him, which it looked like that's what they did, and and. My sentiment is they probably did. Was he Tom Brady? Was he Lamar Jackson? No, but I think he was a capable NFL quarterback at that point and probably should have been given a chance um, to play. But we're, we're neither here nor there now. It's six years later. Um, so I don't know. It'll With no, with no contract imminent, uh, I feel like there's probably – what that probably means is there's no contract. Yeah, I don't want to be the skeptical one here, but I wonder if this is a just try to be a great PR move for the Raiders and, and everything they've dealt with over the past year. And it's like, well, hey, at least, you know, we're giving him a shot. I mean, Mark Davis came out and said he looked great, deserves to still be in the league, but yet you're not offering the guy a contract. So, like, what is it? Does he deserve to be in the league or not? Because in my opinion, if you're sitting here saying that he deserves to be in the league and he could be playing right now, why wouldn't you sign him to a backup contract? You think your team's good enough to compete in the AFC West and possibly make the playoffs. If Derek Carr happens, or if anything happens to Derek Carr, I think we can all admit Nick Mullins is not taking you there. So if you think Colin Kaepernick can, the business side of that doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, I would love to see Colin Kaepernick back in the league. I uh, was just talking about him today, actually, with a bunch of people, um, not even related to this story. We were discussing just kind of like running quarterbacks and how that has kind of changed, you know, with him. And, and actually, we were debating, um, which is a story for another time, uh, actually what happened, how he took over for Alex Smith, and then Alex Smith made the playoffs and got replaced by Patrick Mahomes. We were wondering if that could possibly happen to Jalen Hurts this year. 
Uh, but I, I like Kaepernick. I think he could definitely be in the league, and I do hope he gets a chance one day. I mean, it's it's just weird seeing some of the guys we've seen come in and not only start games but be backups in NFL games, and I think we all can admit, like Dennis just said, that Kaepernick is better than a lot of those guys, and he's still not being given a chance. Yeah, and this uh, they did come out and say um, that Derek Carr is their quarterback, and I think he just signed that massive extension. So this would kind of be back up in depth. But it would make sense to me. Quarterback has gotten to be a much thinner position than maybe it was at one time. And having a backup that you can rely on has proven to be very important, even for teams that want to compete uh, for the playoffs. I mean, look at even Baltimore last year. You know, Lamar Jackson goes out and they – they lost a hideous amount of games in a row to just miss the playoffs. Kaepernick played, I believe, at the University of Nevada, so it would make some sense. Could be kind of like a homecoming in that sense to go uh, play in Las Vegas. So we'll be curious to see if he gets a shot. Um, it would definitely be a bit of a PR boost for a Raiders team that uh, had a lot of off-field shenanigans in the last year. Um, and I'd also, I mean, I know it's a different offensive staff and everything, but – We've seen the past couple of years the way they like to use Marcus Mariota as well in that offense. Like I think Kaepernick would be the perfect guy to fill in on that role as well with with what he can do. He's a better passer than than Mariota was as well. So it, I would love to see him get a shot. So the other interesting piece of news is always the NFL rule changes, and they agreed to a few uh, this year. Um, Going into COVID, we kind of had a Wild West philosophy toward the IR. Um, there wasn't a set amount of time you had to be on IR. You got to come back off IR almost seemingly at will. With the COVID-19 pandemic uh, moving into the endemic stage and being um, in a little bit of a different phase, it makes sense the NFL is revisiting that. But they have expanded the IR over it was in the pre-COVID days. This upcoming season, player has to be on IR for at least four weeks, but they can designate up to eight players to return, or this was the part that made me laugh. If a guy goes on IR twice and gets designated twice, that counts as two of your slots. So they can designate eight people off the IR to return at any point during the season. So that provides a little bit of clarity uh, for us in the fantasy world. I don't know about you guys, but all my dynasty leagues and even a lot of the redraft leagues I've been have kind of really expanded the amount of IR slots because of the fluid nature of the way they were using IR. I think this means to me, at least a couple of things this season, you know, if a guy goes on IR, it's at least four weeks, which didn't always happen last year. But I also think on the flip side, if they have somebody that they don't think needs to be out for four weeks, you're going to end up carrying a lot of players that have questionable or doubtful designations throughout a week that you won't know until game day if you have them. So Matt, what? how does this IR change strike you as we go into a new season? Uh, I think for the most part, it's probably just going to lean us toward what you just mentioned. And, and every league's likely going to keep their IRs with more depth than they had before. Like we've seen a lot of leagues. I know a lot of leagues that we're in together that was done with COVID just because it was so random. And I still think we're going to see that. I mean, as, as someone who is a big baseball fan, I've seen it a lot this season still. Like we, we don't talk as much about COVID because life somewhat is going back to normal um, after everything that's happened the past two years with COVID. 
But just the other day, there was like four high profile baseball players that got put on the COVID list and they're out for a couple of days. Like, I still think we'll see that with the NFL. Um, I do like that, you know, for sure they're out for four days. The one thing with COVID was you were never really sure if it was going to be like, hey, they, they get put on Monday. Can they make it back by Thursday? And I don't know if that part is still the same with the COVID designations or if now once they're on IR, they have to stay on for four. That part, I don't know. Yeah, once you're on IR, you have to be on there okay. for at least four weeks. So, so you can't I mean, use IR as that yeah. short-term drop anymore. So I think that part really makes it – at least you know that now for your fantasy leagues, right? So if it is – and I'm just going to throw – I want to pick a player who's not very important because I don't want to put a hex on and that sounds bad. Saying, if Cole Beasley ends up back on the COVID list, that just seems like the perfect target there. You know that you don't have to – you know that he's sitting there for four weeks and you so say you really don't have to worry about it. I do like that part of it. Um, and I like the practice squad part as well. I know you just mentioned that, like the fact that they can keep vets still on there as well. And they expanded it. We saw how massive that was for the NFL the past couple seasons. I think it will continue to be, especially for the running back position, just because of the attrition of it. So uh, it, it gives guys a little bit more, um, you know, guys like me, if, if you really believe in a player, they just haven't done it. If they're hanging on that practice squad. You get that little thread of hope that you can continue to hold on to. I think you just have to manage your team within the rules. And, you know, if they're I, – I try to keep guys that – the IR for guys that are on IR. I don't like that you can put suspended guys on IR and whatnot. So now we know they go on IR. It's going to be four games. We'll manage our teams that way. Uh, but I like the certainty. I think the hard part will be um, – the designated for return because you know you put a guy on ir and then you wait he goes four weeks and they don't bring him back but they also don't designate him for return and it's like well what do you what is he coming back is he you know there'll be some confusion there i think but they had to rein it in somehow i mean it it did get pretty wild west there with the ir oh you're on ir this week you're back next week now you're on ir again well, it was wild west to like for fantasy. Um, you know, I know all of us play on the sleeper format, and one of the things that's tough on there is if you have an illegal um, IR or practice squad, you literally can't even change your active lineup. It's not that you can't pick. And there was a couple of times last year where somebody was on IR because of COVID, and you didn't know if they were coming off. And not all of us get home before primetime midweek games kick off and you have a Thursday night player that got released from COVID IR and is still on your IR and you literally can't change your lineup for the rest of the week. I will be happy if that's not a situation that I have to, to worry about, you know, that sounds like East coast bias there, man. You know, I also work on Sundays. So some of the lineup challenges are real. Those inactives go live right about the time we're doing services. Well, today we are going to start uh, looking at um, some power rankings. Uh, we're going to look at positions and we're going to look at by conference. So today we are looking at NFC running backs. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about how this is going to go. We looked at all 16 NFC teams. Each of us ranked them one through 16, one being the best, 16 being the least best. Uh, so I'm going to take them in um, ascending order. 
starting at the bottom. I'm going to tell you what the average score we was. So remember, one would be the best, 16 would be the worst, what the average of our three scores was and what our high and low was. And it's really easy for our number 16 team. The average for them was 16. That is the Atlanta Falcons. All of us had them uh, at number 16. So, Dennis, what do you love or don't love about the Falcons' backfield? Well, I I think there's just a lot of uncertainty. You know, the guy leading the charge is a 31- or 32-year-old wide receiver. Um, He looked good last year, and Arthur Smith has figured out how to use him, but he is old. Uh, especially by running back standards. Um, You know, they've got Tyler Algier, who I feel like Algier could get 225, 250 carries, but we just don't know. And I feel like he's probably also a replacement level player, so there's not a lot of certainty. So for Dynasty especially, I I just don't know. They've got Damian Williams, who's also 30-ish years old, former Super Bowl MVP that was robbed. Um, I think that it, there's there's just so many question marks uh, for the Falcons that I, I'm just not ready to buy in. I feel you're gonna you're gonna get some production out of uh, Cordero Patterson. You're gonna get some production out of Tyler Algier, and you're gonna get at least one game out of uh, Damian Williams. But when? And so I, I, I struggle there. Yeah, that's that was kind of my thought process on it as well. I mean, we've actually seen a lot of news, too, that they may be moving Cordero back to wide receiver. So is he even going to be the main running back? I liked Algier. He, he finished very highly ranked for me um, in my film grades, but he's not special. Like, I agree with what Dennis said. He's a replacement-level player. So I don't even know that he's he could go out there and have 200 carries. But I don't know these going to be super spectacular. Damian Williams is what Damian Williams is. Like for me, it's just a lot of guys that I expect probably as a group are going to have a, a good year. Cause I do trust Arthur Smith, but we're not supposed to be evaluating that part, right? It's not how good we think the run game can be because of Arthur Smith and what he's shown with running backs and the way he uses them. It's what we think of the players. And so for me, this was kind of the one backfield where I'm like, if they move Patterson to wide receiver, if Algier gets hurt, like, is it Jeremy McNichols, who I think actually just moved? I don't even know if he's still on Atlanta. But Jeremy McNichols and Caleb Huntley, is that who we're trusting here for Atlanta? I just, I don't see it. Yeah, that was a little bit of it for me. Um, you know, last year when Arthur Smith came over, we're just thinking about what he did with Derrick Henry, and they signed Mike Davis. And he was one of my favorite, you know, like sleeper by low running backs going into the season, and that just ended up being a turd in the punch bowl. Patterson um, had a good season, but more up and down because of receiving. I just, somebody had to be last. Welcome, Atlanta. Uh, Next up on our list with a 14.3 average is the Arizona Cardinals. I was the high point, uh, had them 12th. Uh, Dennis and you had them 15th. So, Matt, what, uh, what do you feel about the Cardinal backfield? Yeah, I just realized I I put 16 on there twice, so I was adjusting that really quick. I I, I didn't even realize that. Um, I thought Dennis did did it, but I realized it was you. I was like, you hate Arizona so much you couldn't even bring yourself to it. I couldn't. Yeah, I was looking at it. I was like, wait a minute. Why do I have two 16s? (laughs) Uh, 
it's just I know Connor went out there and had an amazing season for fantasy last year and, and realistically for the Cardinals as well. But he also missed time. And we've seen that's kind of been a consistent thing for him. I don't necessarily trust that Eno Benjamin can step up and do anything if Connor were to get injured for a, a long period of time, multiple weeks in a row. Again, with the new IR rule, if he gets injured and they're like, okay, hey, we got to put him on IR for at least four weeks, can Eno Benjamin? And even though I like Keontae Ingram as like a, a late round rookie stash, I don't know that those two together can really produce at a high end level. And then after them, I mean, it's Jonathan Ward, Ronnie Rivers. I mean, it was great for Fresno state in college. I don't know that he's anywhere near a real NFL back. So I just don't think any of those guys, and even if Keontae Ingram does step up and be what a lot of people think, I I don't know that it's going to be better than the teams I ranked ahead of them, which was kind of the way I looked at it. So for me, it's just, uh, they don't have a real stud. It's a bunch of guys, just in my opinion, like Atlanta uh, guys who are just all, replacement level guys that maybe together do something, but there's not one that really stands out. It's like, you know, what's better than one Tyler Algier, three Tyler Algiers. And that's kind of what James Connor, Daryl Williams, Eno Benjamin are They're They're, you know, Connor had a great year. He's going to lead the team. He's going to be the back until he gets injured. Um, I could see Connor having Connor, he could end up having like 12 fantastic games and then a bunch of people pushing for the playoffs trade for him. And then he's gone. I mean, and that, that makes me so nervous. He, he plays so hard and then he, he will try to play through some of the injuries and it takes him a little while to get back when he does get injured. Daryl Williams, even when he flashes, he he's still just a guy. Uh, and Eno Benjamin hasn't done anything. That the opportunity is there for Ingram if he can seize it to to become the number two and provide a little bit uh, of explosiveness for that team. But I don't know. I you know he he ended he didn't he didn't blow us away in college. He had good years, but he wasn't you know nobody was drooling over him. He transferred. It's just a group of guys. Could Connor go out and put up a you know 900 yards and 12 touchdowns again? He could, but I'm not going to bank on it. Yeah, I guess I like Connor a lot more than you guys do. I also uh, like Darrell Williams a little bit more than you do. I thought he was pretty fantastic when given chances in Kansas City. Well, yeah, you so I like beat you twice a year, so. Well, thanks for joining us, Dennis. We'll uh, see you again. No. Um, so I guess I didn't – I just thought their situation and their group, that you're all right that there's a lot of potential and they're going to have to separate the wheat from the chaff at some point in time because it looks like they might have a lot of chaff in there. But I thought Connor – I but maybe it's a little bit that I've liked Connor since he was in Pittsburgh. A little bias. But we will see. You do make some compelling arguments. Our next team, which uh, came out 14th overall uh, with an average score of 12.3, just missed uh, tying the two teams above them, is the Chicago Bears. And Matt was the high man, uh, had them ninth. Uh, You and I, Dennis, had them at 14. Uh, What scares you about the Chicago backfield? I want to believe that Khalil Herbert can be a good number two back. 
Um, he did flash a little bit last year, and the opportunity is there. But after Herbert, you've got Darrington Evans, who's who's moved around. Tristan Ebner, who's a rookie. You know, Ebner could be every bit as good as Herbert and push Herbert out of the way. And I don't even know who Demontre Tuggle is. So after David Montgomery, there's a lot of question marks. And I'm a big Montgomery fan. He was my RB1 coming out that year over Josh Jacobs. But I know, but now we're what, four years in, five years in? Montgomery has never been an explosive back. So he isn't going to blow you away with, with big runs. The team is, you know, they're, they're not set up to be a passing juggernaut, so it'll be easy to key on Montgomery. I feel like that while the volume will be there for Montgomery, I don't think the production is going to be. It kind of reminds me, I, I just wrote a an article about Snoop Connor over on Dynasty Nerds, and one of the comparisons or career arcs I kind of compared him to was Jordan Howard, who came out and had a great first year, and, a, you know, he was like RB10, I think. And then he was like RB14, then he was like RB20, and then he was gone. And it's I, I feel like Montgomery is kind of in that step-down-every-year routine, not necessarily because he's bad, but you take a bunch of hits year after year after year. I think he can be productive, but how productive is he going to be on a good team uh, if they're behind, they're going to be having to play catch up. And then, you know, I don't know just how consistent I believe Herbert can be. So it pained me to put him that low, but I don't know. I'd, I'd like to hear why Matt has him all the way up at nine. So for me, I'm sure some of it was maybe I just completely attacked this exercise differently than you guys did. Like most of it was the depth chart, but I also wanted to factor in how good I think the top guy is. And I, I do think Montgomery, I mean, he's he's missed uh, a couple games, obviously, the past couple years. What was it? I was trying to pull it up. So uh, two games in 20, I'm sorry, three games last year, two games in 20. And then in 2019, I don't remember if it was because of an injury. He just didn't start. I mean, he play, it shows he played in all 16 games. He only started eight of them. So he's been, for the most part, I mean, again, no games as a rookie, one game in 2020, and then last year we know he got the injury. They thought he was going to be out forever, and he ended up coming back for like three or four weeks or whatever it was. So he's been, for the most part, very healthy. And Khalil Herbert, again, I was a big fan of his coming out of college. He's a guy that I do think is a very good running back. And he showed it last year. Like, he had three really good fantasy games and then one kind of bad one. So I think he can carry the load there. And for for what it is, it's Dermonte Tuggleboat, sir. Not not Tuggle, but I'm just kidding. He's uh, he's out of, I don't remember. It's a Mac school off the top of my head. I think it's Akron. I don't remember 100%. But he's not anything special. But I do think that Khalil Herbert could easily step in. There's a lot of people who really like Treston. Um, Ebner, I'm not his biggest fan, but people I trust think that he's going to be really good. So I think they've got the right pieces. I mean, Darrington Evans, I still think could be a decent, like receiving running back. And I don't think that he was that bad in Tennessee until he got hurt. And then he just never could get back on the field. If Montgomery were to go down, I do think that they could mix in Herbert Ebner Evans, however, and easily fill that role. And I do think Justin Fields, I know he's not supposed to factor into the depth chart part of it, but I think he helps open the run game up for them. So 
I just I like the team overall, and I think Montgomery has been consistently healthy. It's going to be good contract year for him. Uh, I think that the run game is going to be fine, and the depth chart is okay for the Bears. Yeah, I like Montgomery, and I liked the flashes we saw of Herbert. I guess when I was doing it, I also factored a little bit of like um, scheme and challenges, and I still believe that offensive line to be a challenge. You uh, listed Justin Herbert or uh, Justin Fields as a benefit to me when I was thinking about it. I thought it might be a detriment since Fields actually is somewhat of a running quarterback. I part of it for me too is I don't really know what Chicago's philosophy on offense is or if they even have one. Um, so I suppose I'm probably too low if I was considering how I feel about the pieces, but when I thought when I took those pieces and I put them into a puzzle, it I'm not uh, super bullish on Chicago right now. So the way I look at it, and I could be a hundred percent wrong here, is he's coming from Green Bay and has worked with Matt Lafleur. I assume they're going to do some kind of thing like Green Bay has done with with Dylan and Jones. And again, I, I do think Herbert's a good enough back to pair with Montgomery, which also possibly saves him a little bit more because he's not getting a ton of carries. And so that was also something that factored. Now, I could be 100% wrong, so we've never really seen him be an offensive coordinator and call his own offense. I'm just going based on where he came from and what he's technically been working with and learning under the past couple seasons. So the next two teams ended up tied, so uh, we'll take them together, and that is the Seattle Seahawks and San Francisco 49ers. Uh, they ended up with an average score of 12 each. Um, very interesting paths to get there. Uh, Matt, you were much higher on the 49ers, having them 10th, and Dennis and I had them at 13. And then Seahawks, I had it 10, and you had it 14. So what do you like about the 49ers over the Seahawks? I just think they have a lot of better than um, – I forgot the word we used earlier – replacement-level guys. Uh, Elijah Mitchell showed it last year. I know that he was injured a bunch, and, and that's probably a question we're going to have of him moving forward forever. Same with Jeffrey Wilson, right, or Jeff Wilson. Uh, they bring in Tyrion Davis-Price, who is a high-end college athlete. I, I do think some of the – Knocks against him maybe a little bit unfair because he did produce. You had COVID really kind of mess up LSU, and then all the coaching stuff that happened last year. It's just been a weird college career for him. We've seen those guys bounce back. And then I also just don't think Trey Sermon is a pile of hot garbage. Like, I understand he's not really shown well going to San Francisco. There's been some questionable rumors about attitude problems and, and him thinking certain things and maybe getting on Shanahan's bad side. But when you mention all those guys together, that's a pretty good running back room. And I, I do think a lot of people would like to have a lot of those guys on their team. And again, I just think you factor in how successful those guys can be together. Like if, if Elijah Mitchell gets hurt, I think Trey Sermon or Tyrion Davis-Price could step up and be just as effective with, a Mitch, with Mitchell out. We've seen Jeff Wilson do it, and I think at the most part he's mainly a receiving back. I don't know that he's really that good of a, of a runner, a guy who can handle that workload, and Trey Sermon can. So for me, all those guys paired together, like that's a pretty good deep room right there with four guys that not a lot of these other teams have. They don't have that high-end guy, 
like I talked about with David Montgomery, I value a little bit more. But altogether, that room I think is very solid. For if any of those guys gets hurt, I don't really have an issue with up to four guys stepping up and replacing that value. Yeah, but with up to four guys stepping up and replacing that value, that does nothing for fantasy power rankings. I mean, like which you, you can't you in you can only start one player in a spot at a time. I mean, are you going to start all four San Francisco running backs just no, hoping it, that you? I mean, it'll be so it'll be to me. That's why they they should probably you know be lower. But I don't know if Mitchell can stay healthy, or if one of them ends up taking the lead on the on the job and somebody steps up solidly behind him i could see him rising up because that offense is conducive to productive running games but you just don't know who it's going to be right now it feels like it's going to be mitchell but he did get injured last year so you know that kind of makes me a little bit nervous there i think so i i think when i'm looking at the difference between Seattle and San Francisco is a little bit about um, kind of where Dennis Dennis is at. When I look at Seattle, I know that they have quite a few different backs, and I do like their combination of backs, but Seattle has also traditionally been a place where they have a feature back, and you know on any given week if that guy is healthy and is the starter, a reasonable expectation for points. I would agree with you in San Francisco that Mitchell probably is – the nominal starter when he's healthy, but San Francisco with Kyle Shanahan and even Kyle Shanahan when he was in Atlanta has traditionally used more than one back every game, regardless of who's healthy. And that's always been my fantasy struggle with San Francisco is it feels like you almost need to carry two or three of their backs. If you're going to go down that road or you have a guy that, you know, maybe is a home run play at some points in time, like in places where I have Mitchell, I'm not sad if I can grab Sermon and Terry Davis Price just in case. And I think when I'm thinking about it from a fantasy perspective, that sort of makes me nervous because you're, you're more, you're committing more roster spots, I feel like. And it feels like it's been that way for me with San Francisco for a couple of years when I had Raheem Mostert on a lot of rosters, I was taking some of these other players too, because even when, those guys are healthy. You can't be a hundred percent sure they're going to get the workload or if San Francisco gets up big, they rotate people in or if they get down big or in different, whoever has the hot hand and that, that they are more of a true committee. And I guess that's why I have it a little bit further down. I don't disagree with your points about the talent level of those guys. Yeah. Like I said, for me, it's just, I, I don't, Last year when Mitchell was healthy, he was the bell cow. And I agree. There's definitely some questions about that because he was injured, then comes back and is like, hey, you know, we're, we're, he's good to go. And then he gets injured two games later and misses a bunch of games again. Uh, and, but I do think that's somewhat baked into the 49ers cost because you know that he's so injury prone. Now, again, I do agree with what Dennis said as well. Like you're also there's three different guys. So who are you taking as your running back? Do you want to you, you probably don't have to roster all four but you maybe want to roster three of them, which definitely eats up in your space. But I do think for me too, what ranked so highly in there is I want the Kyle Shanahan running back though. And if Elijah Mitchell goes down and like, Oh, we're giving it all to Tyrion Davis price. Even if he's replacement level, he's going to likely produce for you in fantasy just because of how well he's always designed those schemes. So that was the way I looked at it was there's four guys I think could easily produce for you in fantasy. If like, say all three of them were to get hurt and then they're down to Jeff Wilson, we've seen Jeff Wilson do it. 
So I was like, I've got to rank those guys high because I'd be fine having any four of those on my roster where like you mentioned, go ahead. I was going to ask you, do you have any concerns if they follow through on what the talk has been that they're going to Trey Lance, that that eats into running back value? Cause we saw when he was in there, he was definitely a primary rusher. Yes and no. I still don't think they want to run Lance a ton. Like the same thing with Fields. I think where it helps them is the RPO options because if they are successful, you're also going to see those defenders crash down on the quarterbacks at times, and then they can just let the running back go, and that's going to open holes for them. So it's a it's a yin and yang. Like it's going to hurt them at times, but I also don't think it's going to be a huge thing. Like I don't know that when they get down into the red zone, they're just going to be like here, Jim or Jimmy G. My goodness, Trey Lance bulldoze it in they're likely going to give it to the running back same thing i expect in chicago so maybe david montgomery doesn't get 40 of the yards justin fields just ate up on a run but if he gets you that touchdown i'll take the two extra points so i think there's and and you're also going to see it on the other side right those quarterbacks will vulture touchdowns for them in the red zone so you again know that though going in you know hey well i mean tom brady's had a bunch of rushing touchdowns because he just falls forward so it's 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 just one of those things where you're like you you know you bet you bake that into the cost uh, but the, the Seattle side, because I was going to go into that since you, you were the highest on them, I, I think my biggest fear with them is I know Rashad Penny was great for three or four games there at the end of the year, but that's been like four games that he's – the best four games he's had in like a five-year career now in the NFL. I don't know that I believe that's what he is moving forward. And I love Kenneth Walker. Um, I know Jared Wackerly, Brad McDaniel over at Debbie Watch Jared of, of, of Dynasty Nerds. Um, and I, I myself are really the only ones talking about him in the past two years. Pete Carroll has like never said a negative thing about a player. He is always goes out there and this rah, rah, this guy, rah, rah, that he wasn't that glowing about Kenneth Walker coming out of rookie minicamp, which worries me a little bit. Cause typically when you're like, Hey Pete, how's this guy doing that just like completely snapped his leg off? Oh, he's fine. He's going to be back in like two weeks. He's a team leader, all this stuff. He's, he's always very positive. And then when it came to Kenneth Walker, it's like, well, he's kind of missing some stuff here. He needs to improve on his pass blocking this and that, that does worry me a little bit. Cause I think Pete Garrell is a, a generally positive and honest guy. I don't know that Kenneth Walker can just step up into a likely very bad offense, very bad offensive line, and then just produce for you. Cause I think he's got to have some things go his way. And then outside of him, like I don't trust Josh Johnson. I don't even know who Nick Bell or is DJ Dallas is just a receiving back. Darwin Thompson has not worked out at all. And I love Darwin Thompson. Like it, it's just outside of really, in my opinion, Kenneth Walker, it's a bunch of guys that I don't see have any real ceiling. So that's why they rank so low for me. Yeah, I kind of see. I I agree with you for the most part. I, you know, Chris Carson, I think he's done. Um, Penny, I I love Rashad Penny's talent, but I don't have any faith he can stay healthy for a half a season. Um, but I do think that Walker. Pete Carroll probably is in the he needs to be pushed. I'm not just going to hand it to him mode. Let's let's get him going, motivate him. You're right. DJ Dallas is a pass catcher. Travis Homer is a, uh, a special teams guy. I think there, but Pete wants to give it to one guy, and so if if Penny's healthy, it's going to be him. And we know Penny is explosive. Uh, and if it's not Penny, it's going to be Kenneth Walker regardless. Now, the downside is 
that that could be with with Drew Locke and, and uh, um, Geno Smith. That offense could be horrendous. Maybe they trade for Baker. Maybe they don't. But uh, you know, I think if Baker goes there, warts and all, he is the uh, best quarterback on that team. All right. Well, our next two teams also ended up in a tie, so we'll take them together. One uh, we were all pretty uniform on, that was the New York Giants. Both these teams finished with an average of 11.6 points. Uh, we, You and I, Dennis, had the Giants at 11. Matt had them at 13. The more interesting one is the Philadelphia Eagles. Matt had them at 11. I had them way down at 15. You had them at 9. What do you like about the Eagles' backfield? I think Miles Sanders is a hell of a good back. I I think he is a really good running back. And while he got got misused some last year, I think he gets better every year. And he showed he – I mean, he had 986 yards rushing last year, if I remember correctly. Yes, he did not get a touchdown, but it wasn't like they were taking him out all the time down there. He had Jalen Hurts uh, running – the ball in the red zone. Um, I think he's going to get the lion's share of the running back touches. Gainwell and Boston Scott are going to play some. Gainwell's a good receiving back. Uh, I think Jordan Howard is still there uh, as a fallback. So they they have they've got good depth, and and I just think Miles Sanders is a good back. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I had him fairly highly ranked. I th- only two spots behind Dennis. I mean, he he definitely has some injury issues. I think, you know, we look poorly on Miles Sanders because of a bad year last year, but he actually had a good year just missing the touchdowns for whatever reason. He just really wasn't getting touchdowns, which hurts you for fantasy points. They do have Kennedy Brooks behind him. They just brought in as a rookie. I think it's okay. Kenneth Gainwell also, I think, again, they've got some decent. Boston Scott has consistently produced when when called upon every for for some reason uh so i i don't understand as it. long as you don't good. start him in fantasy no yeah that's true yeah but still he's he's been good so i think again it's just the depth of the room is there and i like miles sanders as a guy who you know maybe again contract year he's able to go out there and just have that really good year i think this offense is going to be a lot better this year as well kind of again another year in sirianni's offense i think they're betting on jalen hurts and bringing in aj brown which again only helps everybody bringing in an elite wide receiver like that improved offensive line. I mean, I, I think Philly's in for a really good run this year. Yeah. And I guess for me, you know, feels like Sanders, well, not feel like he has missed significant time every year he's been there. Um, I think he's like Mr. Consistent at 11 games uh, in a season. Well, the season used to be 16. Now it's 17. So that's getting worse. The other guys often, you know, it, I was totally bought into the idea that, oh, you know, Sanders is out, Boston Scott's going to go off, or Kenny Gainwell is going to be good. And those guys have often been all hat and no cattle um, when you want to go put them in your lineup. So Philadelphia in general is just a backfield that I don't have any faith in. Um, So when I'm looking at it from a fantasy perspective, I'd much rather, especially at the cost, you still have to go to to get Miles Sanders and even Gainwell. There's so many people um, out there in the silly season on Twitter right now that are propping him up to to be like an Alvin Kamara-like receiver. 
what I don't know what evidence they're basing that on, especially considering that Philadelphia has done nothing but add passing weapons to an offense that we don't know exactly what the passing volume is even going to be. So it's just a for the cost for me was a team I was looking to avoid. So that's kind of why I dumped them down there. So yeah, what, think- is the, what do you think the cost for Miles Sanders is right now? I mean, I've been seeing him go in that mid to upper RB2 range. I've seen people trying to get firsts for him. I'm just not there. He's he's going off the, the board right now in Dynasty Superflex Leagues as RB30, pick 102. Yeah, I think with Philly, my, my one big question that I did have is, Early in the year, they were a very pass-heavy team. They actually finished, I believe, top 10 in attempts overall. But then the second half of the season, they really pivoted to a run-heavy team. Now, some of that obviously anchored with Jalen Hurts, who we talked about earlier with, with running quarterbacks. So I also don't know what this offense is going to be. I'm not 100% sold on Nick Sirianni being a really good coach. But I, I just think a little a little bit more of it was, was the room for me that raised him up. Yeah. So what about, uh, you know, obviously the giant Saquon Barkley's still there. When he was coming out, he was viewed as a, a generational talent. He's been at times a, a top dynasty back. We've we've seen him struggle with injuries and production the last few years. Not a great situation. Is that kind of what has him damned? All of us are, no one was higher than 11th. We were all in that 11 to 13 range. But how are you feeling about the Giants these days, man? Yeah, I mean, I'm all in on Barkley bouncing back, but really behind him, there's a lot of question marks, and that's what dropped him. As, as I mentioned earlier in the show, I really did try to rate like how I had the top guys, and if I were to rank Barkley as a top running back in the NFC, he'd probably be still top three or four for me. And I do think he's going to bounce back and have a good year. I talked about a lot, though, when he came out as a rookie. He is a very talented back. I do think he's generational. I the injuries uh we've seen that take down even better players than saquon barkley he's not quite the runner we think he is though at times he is a phenomenal receiving back even dennis who's an ohio state fan like myself can tell you whenever penn state played ohio state he could never do anything on the ground it was special teams and receiving is really where he kind of beat that team and that's kind of what we've seen in the NFL as well. You go back to his rookie season. I don't even think he got a thousand yards on the ground. And if you go back and look at his big plays, it was actually receiving stuff that were those really big plays. Like that one that he broke off down the sideline. I'm almost positive it was like an out pass right over to him. So that part raises his value for me. But behind him, Antonio Will- Williams, Gary Brightwell, Deshaun Corbin's a guy I know a lot of people liked. Had a pretty good senior bowl week. Matt Breed is interesting to me because. He was with Dayball in Buffalo. Uh, He's a guy that we've seen produce on multiple different teams. I found it very interesting that once he fumbled the ball in Buffalo, he got benched and never saw the field again, but then followed Dayball to New York. I I don't really understand that, but I think Rita is a guy who could step up behind Barkley if Barkley gets hurt. So it was mostly for me those top two guys. I was like, okay, I expect Barkley to hopefully go out there and have a really good year. I think the Giants could be improved a little bit with the moves that they've made. Offensive line, I believe in Dayball as a coach, that I'm going to put them here. Again, not very high because I just – there's a lot of other better teams in them, but I just don't think they're the worst teams. So, like, I, I what did I put them at? 12, 13? So, yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it was more of just I believe in Barkley, but there's definitely some questions behind him. I, I I like Barkley a lot. I think that 
he's got to make a transition in his game um, and become less of a finesse player. I, I think we're past that with him, and he needs to accept that. And not, you know, I think when he does, I'm not saying he needs to be a hammer like Earl Campbell, uh, despite having that size, but he needs to get what he can get and then get down without taking a beating. You know, the guy who's really intriguing in that backfield to me is Antonio Williams. Cause it was like, I don't think it was last year. I think it was the year before Like Williams. I don't think he played all year. And then at the end of the season for Buffalo, he put up a 31 point game. And so to me, that's a guy that like, if something happens to Barkley, I wouldn't be surprised to see Antonio Williams leading the team in touches because I feel like he's the one Dayball brought with him from Buffalo to be, you know, sort of a, an insurance policy. Brita is a guy that, you know, he had for a year, but Williams he had for multiple seasons in, in Buffalo. Um, as far as my ranking of them at 11, you know, I, some of these teams, you know, we're, we're, when we separate the top guy from the other guys and it's, you have to kind of average it out a little. And because Barkley hasn't quite, he hasn't produced like say Christian McCaffrey has when McCaffrey's had garbage behind him. But we know when McCaffrey's in there, he's, he's the RB one. Barkley hasn't proven that. And I, I don't think, you know, if you want to chalk it up to injuries or whatnot, I don't think Barkley has proven to be a generational talent. I think he's got a lot of attributes, but he hasn't proven to be generational. Yeah, and I think that was it for me with the Giants. I had him at 11. I wouldn't have had him that high if I didn't have tremendous respect for Saquon Barkley's ability. But I also have have concerns. I have the same concerns you guys do about what's behind him. You know, Matt Breida has had flashes at times. Maybe you're right about Jonathan Williams. I don't know. But I think it's also fair to wonder about Barkley himself. Sure, in 2020, he only played like a game and a half. But last year, he actually appeared in 13 games, got 162 carries, and only had 593 yards. He had 15 touchdowns in his rookie year, and he only has had – He's only had 12 touchdowns in the three years since. I mean, we haven't seen him get incredible volume or be able to maximize that volume. And when I'm thinking now about a team that's going through an offensive system change, Brian Dayball's offenses were really fun to watch in Buffalo. But the one thing you wouldn't necessarily think of them as is particularly run heavy with running backs. You know, Josh Allen ran for a lot. Were those all design plays? Were they something else? You know, if if this offense is able to move the ball a lot, does Barkley get some good goal line opportunities? Does that make him more valuable in fantasy? I think he's probably one of the toughest fantasy and especially dynasty assets to rate right now because people that have him still think of him as that, you know, solid gold 101 pick that was made a few years ago that should be this top five back. And we just haven't seen that return in a while. And I think that makes him a little bit tough to rate. Uh, we're going to do one more team today. This will round out the uh, bottom half of the NFC uh, 
teams that we're ranking, and we'll do the top eight when we come back on Monday. But the number nine team for us, a cumulative average of 10.3, is the Washington Commanders. I was the highest. I had them right at nine, where they end up landing by average. Matt, you had them at 12. What scares you about the Commanders? I guess it's that I don't really believe in Antonio Gibson. Um, We've maybe it's the fantasy community's fault. And the fact that a lot of people have like compared him and said, he's the next CMC and it's just not worked out. I don't know that Washington believes in him with the fact that they continue to go out and bring in more running backs and sign more guys. You know, they talk about saying, Hey, you know, we're, we're going to split this here. We're going to use JD McKissick in this role. And I don't think J.D. McKissick is really a good running back outside of being a good receiving back. Like, I like Brian Robinson. I mean, it took him five years to do anything in Alabama, and then he didn't even do what Najee did. And, and, and Najee is a much better receiving back as well. Better runner, better everything. Don't believe in Jared Patterson, Raji Bonahu, Alexander what? I don't – like, nobody there is really good outside of – of Antonio Gibson, I just don't think he's the running back we've built him up to be. I would not be surprised if if he's kind of a low-end running back, too, for us in fantasy this year and, and may not even be a guy moving forward. And I also just don't believe in this offense anything. I mean, I think we boosted Turner up for what CMC did and maybe not gave CMC the credit for what he did. Instead, we were giving it to Scott Turner because they've really not shown that at all since him and Ron Rivera came over to Washington. So for me, it's just a big group of one guy above replacement level and Antonio Gibson, and then a bunch of guys at a replacement level. And I, and I don't think Gibson ranks that highly for me. So he's, that's why they came in here at 12. I, I want to argue against that, but I, I, I don't know that I can. Um, I like Antonio Gibson, but the coaching staff has clearly made the decision that, yes, you're explosive. Yes, you do some things. But what they've said basically is he's not an instinctual running back. And by the time he gains running back instincts, that he's going to be like 32 years old. So they're going to piece other people around him. And I think they're going to give him opportunities. And it wouldn't surprise me if the opportunities come at the expense of J.D. McKissick. Um, I think I I see a world where it's possible McKissick is in on passing downs when they're not going to throw the ball to the running back. And Gibson is in on passing downs when they're going to throw the ball to the running back because Gibson is substantially more explosive. And all of a sudden we find Brian Robinson being that, you know, workhorse grinder that's getting 15 carries a game. Um, I like their depth with Gibson, Robinson, and McKissick. They do lack top end, um, but they do have good depth. Jarrett Patterson showed himself to be effective last year, despite being, you know, the size of, uh, who, who is that mouse? Stewart. He's about that big. I mean, he's, he's, yeah, I was going to say Mighty Mouse. He's pretty rich, so we, yeah. we can at least give a Mighty Mouse. You know, at, but they, so, you know, are they, their bottom half, you know, they're, they're ninth, average out to be ninth in the power rankings. I have them at 10. Um, they do have some opportunity to be explosive, but I just don't, I, I agree with Matt when it comes to Scott Turner. 
I don't know that they know how, and any explosiveness that maybe Turner tries to go for, I think Ron Turner kind of negates that because he's a conservative offensive coach by nature. Yeah, I mean, Matt, you raised some really good points about Antonio Gibson. Obviously, we just Dennis and I just covered him as one of our buy sells, and I I definitely have concerns. But at the same time, I don't know how to quit you, little Antonio Gibson. I still have hope in my heart. Um, but Dennis definitely outlined what the biggest like fantasy nightmare would be is that JD McKissick is rotating in on third downs and. Brian Robinson's getting 15 carries a game. And allegedly, they're also still trying to pass the ball more now that they went and got Dotson and have increased their, you know, and who knows if Curtis Samuel's healthy, does he end up starting to take some of the rushing game work, which he did when he was a facet of their offense in Carolina. But I I still like Antonio Gibson and I still like the potential there. So I guess that's why I vaulted them up a little bit higher. Um, than some of the some of the other ones, but I'm I'm with you guys. It was interesting. We didn't have the same rankings, but we had the same eight teams in the bottom eight and the same eight teams in the top half of the draw. So we're definitely not as far apart as we could be. Right. Hey, we did miss one bit of news. Uh, David Njoku signed a oh, yeah. four-year, fifty-six million dollar contract. I don't know what the details are, what it really works out to be. I would assume that they probably, much like Austin Hooper, they can get out of it after two years. But I think that bodes well for uh, Njoku this year, especially if Watson plays. I could see him vaulting up into the top 10, top eight tight ends. Yeah, I mean, sell him now. Sean Watson historically doesn't really target tight ends. So when Watson comes back, I don't know how great. I mean, he could be. Uh, maybe they don't. I honestly don't think we were having this. I was discussing this with um, some people earlier today. I don't think the Browns bring back Amari Cooper after this year. So if they really don't go out and get anybody, maybe they do plan on Njoku. I mean, I think he's gotten better every single year. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't think he's been quite the – project he was when he first joined the Browns. So I like him. I, I think he brings great energy to the Browns. He's one of my favorite players. Hesitant to buy a jersey on him because every time I do, the player gets uh, cut or traded. So I don't buy jerseys anymore. What? Baker's still there. <laughs> well, he won't be for long. I'd say that's right. I have the Denzel Ward one, but who is it? Like, I got a Josh Gordon one. Who is the other one that I got? I got another player before that. Joe Odell. I got an Odell oh, jersey. I, done does nothing for me now. Like, I'm in the same boat. I've been Larry to buy Broncos jerseys for the same reason. But, you know, who would have guessed that on the show, the one that would have predicted Amari Cooper not to last long in Cleveland would be you, Matt? I mean, you know, biggest fan right here. Well, that's going to wrap it up for today. As I said, we will hit the top eight on Monday. Yes, Monday. I had to think. Holidays throw everything off. Uh, Hopefully all you guys have a fun weekend. I am off to spend a little uh, quality time with Tom Cruise tonight. But hope you guys. It was amazing. I'm I'm excited to hear what you think. Well, you know what? I may have a lot more free time on my hands because Ricky told me this morning that if I don't love the movie, he's blocking me on Twitter. So So I guess now it comes down to do you want him to block you on Twitter or not? (laughs) I don't know. I have three hours or so to figure that out. (laughs) 
But happy Memorial Day weekend to everyone. Prepare for glory! I don't know if you got your popcorn ready. Do you got your popcorn ready? I came out the wrong line already. And he's hit the end zone for an unbelievable touchdown. I would be honored if you played football for this team. Throw it up above his head. They can't jump with me. Golly! Only tackle him at the 40 